I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests. Today, we're joined by film critic and broadcaster Clarice Lockery. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love being called a broadcaster. That's the first time I've been called a broadcaster and I really enjoy it. Is it? Oh, wow. I thought it was like, uh, because Clarice, you know, you, you, you go on television, radio, podcasts. That's broadcast. You're totally a broadcaster. That's true. Now I'm mad that no one has ever called me that before. Thank you very much for talking to us today. I think listeners may know your voice from uh, the radio, uh, talking about film. You're often sitting in for Mark Commode. No big deal uh, on Radio 5 Live. <laughs> yes, which goes out live, which is why I like podcasts, because it, it gives me the flexibility to mess up. And I love it. <laughs> to, do, to say something stupid and go, nope. <laughs> when you are on the radio live, what's your, how, do you, how do you prepare for that? Because you often have like a whole bunch of films to cover. I make copious, copious notes. I mean, the thing is that there, <laughs> not to draw attention to this, but there is a webcam link that you can usually watch when the show is live. And like, if you watch me on it, I'm just like huddled over in like a gremlin position, like pouring over my notes because it is it is slightly terrifying being live and, and you just don't have the chance to, to really gather your thoughts. You have to be there and ready to like say your piece for five minutes and then be quiet and then go on to the next thing <laughs> say your piece for five minutes and so yeah I do a lot of prep I basically write the reviews and then condense them to know this is like behind the magic <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah lots and lots and lots and lots of notes that's good that's a good way to, it's a good tip good way to live your life yeah I think Mark just goes in with like one thing on the back of a <laughs> like napkin a script, yeah <laughs> which I really like envious of that skill and, and maybe one day I'll get to that point. So how did you how did you get involved uh, with that? Because I know back, your previous background was being you reviewed films on YouTube. Yeah, that was it actually. The The team reached out and they'd seen a few of my YouTube videos, which uh, <laughs> until that point I'd really just done for fun. I think I, I, I did them because I thought I'd be different and not start a podcast. It's like, I won't do a podcast. I'll have a YouTube channel, <laughs> which I realised now is really like petty and strange kind of arrogance to be like I'm so different I'm so outside of the box but in that respect it it did help because um, you know they the team at Komodo Mayo saw it and and I guess were interested in what I had to say. Mm. What, what happens do you have to audition or do you just like hey Clarice love your show you're going on the radio on Friday. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I did like a, it wasn't really like an audition audition. It wasn't like they were, I mean, I don't know if they, they tested a bunch of other people, but I had to basically go in and just do a mock show just to check that I wouldn't like break down in tears the second they put me in front of a mic. But it never, it never really felt like an audition. It just felt like, let's have a practice of this to check that like you're comfortable doing it which mm. was nice but yeah I remember I had to do I had to do it I had to review it and I think they were won over by the fact I tried to do the voice <laughs> I can't even remember what it's like it's like hello what hey Georgie hey Georgie hey Georgie, hey, Georgie. 
<laughs> there we go. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I'd give you a job on the radio right now. I know. I'll just go in and do like terrible impressions of things. Your life is film. There's a lot of film watching going on. Oh, yeah. Do you have time to, you know, put on some of your maybe non-new release films, catch up on, on things that Clarice wants to watch? I mean, I'll be honest, rarely. <laughs> <laughs> but I do try and make time for it. And and I I have lots of comfort films that I just like little movies that I go back to to make me feel better when I when I feel like in a weird way when I feel sad or just feel kind of exhausted by life mm. and they're often not like the happy cheery ones it's stuff like Stoker wow <laughs> I love watching Stoker when I'm in a horrible mood it's got a I mean that film's so beautiful to look at exactly all the shoes the dresses I remember being very striking that poster shot is so yeah. great and it's so disturbing you just think, well, that woman has bigger problems than me. <laughs> so I can put uh, put my life into sp- perspective because at least I don't have like a sexy uncle who looks like Matthew Good coming into my house trying to play piano next to me. It's a lot. There is something cathartic about that kind of film. I remember having a really great time going to an after work screening of Midsummer, mm. And I was like... Like I mean, the film is heavy, but I was like, I was, I was having such a nice time watching it yeah. <laughs> after a busy day. There are certain films, like, I get drawn to certain films that are very dark in their subject matter, but there is, like, yeah, there is, like, a release to them that somehow makes me feel better by the end of it. When you're at home choosing which, you know, quite horrific movie you'd like to watch, do you ever look at the film's runtime? Is runtime a thing that you comes into your regular film uh, decisions? Yeah, I think, because, like, I'm so busy, sometimes I'm like oh, I don't have two hours right now. So, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just, it's like going on Netflix and be like, which of these movies is the shortest so I can go to bed at a reasonable time? Basically, yeah, almost every night for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we asked you to select a film for the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, uh, how did you make your decision? The choice that I made is one of my favorite movies so it was just kind of rifling through my list of top movies to find out which one was under 90 minutes and i also didn't want to choose a taika waititi film because i didn't want to be too on bread yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i put those aside and was like what other movies do i love we've had one taika film in the festival so far what we do in the shadows which is a very reasonable sort of 80 or so minute runtime but uh yeah maybe maybe there are a few more taikas that could be eligible he makes pretty short movies which is one of the many things i love about him i what a hero we should he make doesn't him the patron take up of the your festival. time <laughs> he's like look I, an hour and a half boom 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 make you laugh make you cry we'll have a good time end on a dance not a Taika Waititi film. What film did you choose for the festival? I chose House. An unforgettable mixture of bubblegum teen melodrama and grisly phantasmagoria, Nobuhiku Obayashi's deranged fairy tale House is one of Japanese cinema's wildest supernatural ventures and a truly startling debut feature. Upset by her widowed father's plans to remarry, Angel sets off with six of her schoolgirl friends for a summer getaway at her aunt's isolated mansion. In the house of dormant secrets, long-held emotional traumas have terrifyingly physical embodiments, and the girls must use their individual talents if they are to survive. Ooh. 
I'd watch that film. Do you think they do a good job in, in terms of summing up the, the movie there? Yes and no. Oh, I don't want to be mean to Eureka because I love them. <laughs> I mean, it, let's just say it's, we've watched a Eureka Blu-ray. We had a really fantastic time. The packaging is beautiful. Special features are amazing and the picture quality is wonderful. Yeah. Now we can say what we like. We love it. <laughs> I don't know about terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've, I would say any part of this movie is scary <laughs> unless you're like really scared of dancing skeletons <laughs> and that just terrifies your core and i also don't know do the girls all use their individual skills well, some of their skills are not really things you can use <laughs> i feel like the only person who uses their skill is the girl called kung fu who is just really good at karate for some reason <laughs> maybe we should set up the so the, the seven girls there's kung fu there's one called prof She's the smart one. I guess she does use smarts to get out of some situations. Yeah. Fantasy has a imagination that and gets scared. <laughs> Getting scared doesn't help anybody. <laughs> um, Mac is the girl who is kind of always eating. And I think they make a joke about her name at one point. So yeah, good work, guys. <laughs> They're really mean to her. Really mean to Mac. And I mean... Spoiler warning, we are going to go into this film. Mac is the first one who doesn't make it through. She's the yeah. first one who dies. She doesn't have a good time <laughs> at all. They call her fat for like 20 minutes and then she dies. And then she gets her head chopped off. It's really like, <laughs> well, I love this movie, but like justice for Mac. <laughs> and then there's Sweet, who is sweet. Yeah, she doesn't really do not anything, a, does she? <laughs> Melody does have to play the piano. Yes, but That's then that is also to her disadvantage. This is true. That's her demise. Yes, because she also dies. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think yeah. that's seven. That's seven, yeah. Oh, and gorgeous. She's called gorgeous in some translations and angel in other translations, of course. Oh. But that's the protagonist. I guess she doesn't really have a skill because, you know, she's angel or gorgeous. <laughs> she's just so beautiful that she makes everyone have a nice time. That's a funny translation there. I think the earlier translation has her as gorgeous and on the more recent release she's angel. So this film was released in 1977 in Japan. Directorial debut, as the back of the box says. Uh, how much do you know about the director? Yeah, I don't. I like. I've never seen any of his other movies because I don't know if they're like widely available. Like I've never seen another of his movies talked about or discussed or like shown at a cinema or released on blu-ray so i don't know if they're out there and i've just missed them it's kind of a it's amazing that this is his first film but his background yeah. was making adverts so apparently he made like two thousand. this is the reported number ads in japan and he was kind of a big deal in the industry like people wanted their ads made by this guy because he had an eye he was a young cool filmmaker and he he did a lot of those you know in lost in translation bill murray goes to japan to do a japanese ad and it's becoming a big thing like hollywood actors doing japanese ads this is the guy that did those Aye. so he made like deodorant ads with charles bronson and like perfume ads and coffee ads with kirk douglas in japan i love those ads it's quite a fun youtube spiral you can go down yeah. just seeing um charles bronson selling these uh like beauty products in japan. i have watched all the nicholas cage ones oh yeah the, what is it called the the game 
Oh, uh, Pachinko. Pachinko. Yeah. The Nicolas Cage Pachinko ads are like genuinely amazing. I love them. Like they're so weird and clever and like very Nicolas Cage. But then he's recruited to make this film and and he's he's recruited because he's a young director and Japanese cinema is apparently a bit stale at this time. The sort of period dramas, they're not working. And it's the first year around the time this film was released where American films actually made more money at the box office than Japanese movies, uh, which is quite remarkable because it's, you know, films in a foreign language. We're not sort of in blockbuster America film mode at this point. The studio Toho was sort of motivated to try and make an American-style film with House. Do you think they were successful? No. <laughs> this is my favourite fact about it, is that they went to him being like, look, Jaws is huge. Can you, like, make us a Jaws? And then he comes back with this. I just can't imagine them being like, what, what, what have you done? <laughs> this, this doesn't have a shark in it. <laughs> weird scary house movie where a cat spews blood all over the place this is nothing like jaws how do you think he interpreted that brief do you think he'd seen jaws maybe he just hadn't watched jaws yeah i think he didn't listen to that part of the brief and just went let me make a movie and then because i know that he went to his his like preteen daughter and and asked her like what she'd like out of a movie and then a lot of the ideas made it into the final cut but I don't know if she'd seen Jaws. Like I don't know where Jaws like comes into it. I think it was just like, what would this little girl like to see in a movie? I think this film is a goldmine for like adding to that legendary status. Like, oh, it's the director's first film. That's cool. Oh, you know, he scripted it with his ten-year-old daughter. <laughs> cool. Oh, it's supposed to be like Jaws, and it's like all of these things add to this mythology, and the film yeah. lives up to that hype that cult movie hype and then my other favorite fact is that they were trying to get a different director because he wasn't staff at toho and you had to be part of the staff to direct something mm. so they're trying to find a director and like nobody wanted to do this script and so they eventually just gave it to him because i think it was that they'd had so many films that were comprehensible that had done poorly they're like we might as well just do an incomprehensible one at this point like this is we've tried everything we can't get an actual jaws movie because he wrote this so let's just like let's just do it okay and and, and and the nice thing is it went on to be a huge success yeah which i'm very surprised by because i would have thought this movie would have done well with critics and then done horribly at the box office but it's kind of the opposite I think it's a time where, as you said, you know, the old Japanese films weren't really working, you know, the the things that we might think of when we think of like 50s, 60s Japanese cinema. And it was a breath of fresh air, not just for the industry, but for audiences. So I can sort of imagine it becoming a bit of a word of mouth film. Yeah. Oh my God, have you seen that film where the piano eats that girl? Yeah, and it is like so fun. Like... That's the strange thing about it. It's it's a horror movie that is just, like, not scary at all. And what I find really interesting about House is that, like, it's, it is this really, really silly and fun, but then it's also sort of trying to deal with the trauma of Hiroshima and mm. Nagasaki because that ant character that they go to visit... They have this. They retell this very sad story that she fell in love, but then her her lover went off to war and never came back, and so she's been just waiting for him for years and years and years, and she's grown grown very bitter over that time. And so, it's interesting because that aspect of it is really 
I don't know, kind of dark and dealing with such a a traumatic and like really like generationally traumatic and culturally traumatic event but then it's also like yeah the movie with the <laughs> dancing skeleton i always come back to the dancing skeleton because he's so fun you're right like you mentioned that it's really hard to find any of his other films and i don't think any of them have been released in the uk but he's made 41 films and a lot of them have this sort of anti-war sentiment in them and in you're right you know, i think this is his sort of reaction to hiroshima apparently he was a little boy he grew up in hiroshima like he was a little boy when it happened. He saw the mushroom cloud, and the mushroom cloud is in a lot of his movies, including this one, with lots of dismembered sort of body parts spiraling around and, and, and stuff. But yeah, I think he's he's got that sort of personal story in there, hidden in this very poppy LSD trip type of movie. Yeah, it's so strange that it, it literally there is a clip of the mushroom cloud, mm. and like to have that in this context is like I think if you especially compared to a lot of other. Japanese films and Japanese literature that deal with the bombings and like that stuff is so because I I just like I can't even start to wrap my head around what that trauma must be like for like still today like the cultural Mm. generational trauma as I said like I, I always struggle to wrap my head around like how that has an effect on a whole population and and it's just something so dark and so unbearable for me. And then to have it like in this, con- yeah, like in this specific context mm. is it feels very different to me. I think a lot of Japanese cinema explores that post-war trauma. But I think with him in this film, he's exploring it in a very like youth focused way. Mm. Like he's sort of wrapping it up in something different. And I, I, I guess it sort of works in a way. Lots of people saw this film and responded to it. And they are seeing this sort of anti-war, post-war trauma film. Maybe they're not going in because of that, but they're getting the message. And I guess if he's working in advertising, he sort of knows how to sell these things. So he knows what rapper to put on something to get his message across. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's, it's like very different from Godzilla, which was mm. also about the, the trauma. But this one, I guess, deals very specifically with the emotional aspect of it, like how the ant is just becomes like more and more bitter over the years because she's alone and her like life all her dreams of marriage and a happy life have been wrecked by by this event and and then to have that sort of translated into well now she's a cannibal and she feasts (laughs) on young girls which is yeah sort of interesting and I guess also still quite sad because she's she's sort of yearning for this lost life which I guess Mm must have been what it felt like like that really really profound sense of of loss not just in a like a death sense but like in just like everything being taken away from you absolutely i guess it shows you you know she's got to this it's like the very end of it's so extreme what she's become to the point where she's become this monster like she is a like a fantasy monster a bit like a dracula in in this like I think that's the nod because she gets younger as she eats more girls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but I think that's, again, it's like, I think the director of is showing he's very cine literate and he's watched those universal horror movies and he's, it's a bit like how Tarantino sort of magpies various things. You know, he's pulling in all the things he likes, the pop soundtrack, the flashy editing, and then this like classic monster movie. I quite, I really like the performance from the ant in this film like she's she sells old sort of decrepit ant very well in the wheelchair at the beginning but then when she starts to get more youthful and a bit more playful with the performance it's great yeah and i i love that she keeps looking at the camera because you kind of feel in on it that's what i Mm. i find 
really strange about the film is that she she's the villain and the monster but also like you're you're kind of on her side because she keeps like inviting you into this situation mm. and so you kind of feel like you're part of it and it's like do I am I rooting for the ant like on I paper she's a textbook great ant yeah she's very welcoming gives some dinner there's a large melon that they all enjoy but yeah and then having that knowing sort of I think also because she's a younger actor playing this older woman like she can be a bit like cheeky with the role like a bit more like flexible and like I think that's kind of fun to watch yeah and the fact that she goes from being in the wheelchair and then she's like dancing on the roof yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i like that it's the sort of like un- unfolding mystery of like she has this certain veil of like yes i'm an older woman and i'm not as mobile as used to be but then it's like slowly the layers are coming off and it's like i'm actually a witch who's <laughs> dancing around my skeleton friend and dancing on the the rafters and and doing it's sort of yeah, it's weird because, like, the film never telegraphs those changes. You just kind of see her, like, shift throughout the movie, sort of from, from what this one character to this very, very different character at the end. It's quite creepy, though. I guess that adds to the horror that it's trying for, like, this creepy slow build. Why is she standing up now? She couldn't in the last scene. And she's very, like, flippant about the whole thing. She's like, oh, feeling a bit better. Oh, you youthful girls, you've made me feel like a younger woman. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like no one really caught up on that. <laughs> Be like, sorry, what? <laughs> hey guys, this is Kobe here from Flix Watcher Podcast. And I'm Helen, also from Flix Watcher Podcast. We are another podcast in the Strip Meter family and we review films on Netflix. Ever struggle to find a film to watch on the Netflix? Well, we're the podcast for you and we have guests from other podcasts, big and small, and they're the ones that actually choose the films that we rate and talk about in our episodes. Like the sound of this, find us by searching Flix Watcher, F-L-I-X Watcher, and make sure you subscribe. And if you want more information about any of the other podcasts in the Strip Media family, just visit www.strips.media to find out more. When it gets into its groove, it becomes quite a typical horror plot. You know, they're picking off the the ant is picking off the girls one by one through the the magic house, and I, I quite like that when it gets into its groove because the the deaths and the fight scenes are really inventive. Do you have a favourite sort of set piece when when all hell breaks loose and the house is actively attacking people? I think the piano. I loved the the monster piano, and the way that like. It's so musical and like pleasant that scene, and then they have the thing with the the cat like running across the piano, and then it's like the the things reversed, so it, and, and then played forward <laughs> back again, and it's like meow meow, and then the, the cat noise is like the song, and it's like meow 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 meow, and it's like so cute and nice, and then it's like, but it's actually a monster piano that eats this girl's fingers and then her hands and then her just her entire body but the fingers still play the piano yeah, i love that it's so like <laughs> oh it's so like creepy like i don't know ghosty mansion haunted mansion like spooky stuff but it's also so colorful and bright and like nice <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what to feel like why are the decapitated fingers playing the piano so like pleasant You're like oh lovely <laughs> When the um the cat had the uh, they did the remix sort of meow song with the cat, our two cats at home who were watching the film with us really freaked out. So a warning for pet owners who are considering watching this. Film. Oh, because it's like going forward and back. So I, think... I guess in cat language, it's like like a David Lynch movie for them. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, the cat is another key character. There's a lot of cat in this film. Yeah. I quite. I mean, I just love cats, but I, I quite like how creepy the cat is, even though the cat is sort of quite passive. It's just there. But for some reason, having a pet in a horror movie makes it scary. Yeah, and I think especially the white cat, because it reminds me of the cat in Inferno, the Dario Gento Inferno, because it's like the, the creepy witch cat. But it's like so cute and white and fluffy, but it's also evil. And I like the the contrast of it because it is it's like such a beautiful cat in the movie, and it has the big eyes and and like the cute little nose <laughs> <laughs> and like a little smushy face, and like the fact that that really at the end of the film is suggested to be like the source of her power. Like mm. it's a bit I don't I don't know how clear it is, but I think there's nods to the cat having been around for a long time. Yeah. So like is it a magic cat? A yeah, ghost like cat? some sort of demon <laughs> ancient demon cat. I don't know. <laughs> like there's some sort of suggestion that the the cat holds all the power because when they destroy like they kind of defeat her in the end by destroying the painting of the cat as if that is like the source of all the power is the cat like the dorian gray (laughs) style (laughs) image of the cat and it's like this really ugly painting of a cat the the, the, the painting spews like blood or something yeah Yeah. because (laughs) i'm trying to remember i think it's kung fu oh god this is really confusing to explain she's been like like her legs have been cut off And with her last force of life, her decapitated legs sail into the painting. I'm remembering this right, right? <laughs> it's a lot of stuff happens, so it's quite hard to like remember what actually happens in house. And so her legs go into the painting, and then I think it like punctures them. So the and then all the blood starts spurting out, and that is like the beginning of the end, really, mm. for the ant. You did it very succinctly. It is a hard film to describe because there's lots of like images overlaid of other images. So there's yeah. so many things happening on screen. Yeah, and it's like cut so some of the scenes are cut so fast mm. that you just could watch it a million times and not have any idea what's going on, really. I think every time you watch it, you will actually see something new. I know people say that a lot with films and it's true, but with this just for the sheer quantity of things in the frame, you will definitely just see something new because you would might have missed it before. Yeah, and like you blink at different times. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like this is the kind of film that literally, if you blink at the wrong time, you will miss something. I love when, when it starts going a bit crazy and they are having lots of fun with the editing and the post-production sort of stuff. I just sort of, I'd like, it's so surreal. Like, this feels like a pop culture sort of collage of stuff. And it's not trying for realism, like the old Japanese films. This is not a realist film. This is a movie. And actually, it says at the beginning of the film, a movie. Like, the director is so keen to let you know this is an artificial thing. And apparently he says that, not that we'd know because we've not seen them, but every one of his films starts with a movie. Oh, that's really weird. I think his reason is just like, leave you any re- any expectations of realism at the door. You're watching a movie. Don't worry, guys. This isn't a documentary. Not a document. Don't believe it's a documentary. <laughs> I, think I quite like that as a director trait. Like, not yeah. like a movie by someone, 
just a movie. Don't worry, the demon cat can't actually get you. So. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Just chill out. Have fun. <laughs> but then he really embraces the movie format and is doing all that mad stuff. The thing that really creeps me out is the giant head that appears at the end. Oh yeah. Uh, like overlaid and like there's lots of playing with size and perspective. I said when sometimes when things are just so weird, there's no rational explanation. That just creeps me out a little bit. That's true. Yeah, and it's kind of an almost I guess there are sort of fairy tale elements to it, a bit mm. of Alice in Wonderland to it, just the kind of skewed logic because every everyone plays everything in this movie is quite normal. Like I don't think there's ever a moment that any of the girls are like, This is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they love they love being at the ants' house so much because it's their summer holiday. They're like in full summer holiday mode. Yeah. Like, the first to be killed is Mac, and where's Mac? Oh, she's fine. She's just walking around somewhere. Oh yeah, she's gone to the potato field because she loves potatoes. Because <laughs> she loves eating so much. Like <laughs> even after she's dead, they're still going on about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like, they are so con- obsessed with just playing everything off as like. That's probably fine. I love how the ant plays them all like fools, though. Like she's having such a good time, like going into because they're so they, you know they're schoolgirls. They're playing innocent schoolgirls, and that uh, she's teasing them with their a scene after Mac goes missing. We assume she's eats her, where a Mac's eyeball appears in her mouth, and she sort of like teases one of the girls with it. Oh yeah. She just like opens at dinner. She just sort of like peeks the eyeball out, and like the <laughs> eyes looking at her through the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite fun to watch that sort of stuff, even though it's sort of quite horrible. Which I think goes back to my my sort of confusion about it because I, I don't know how we're meant to feel about the ant because that's like so playful and so like you kind of feel like you're on her side because it's like, oh, look how she's tricking these like idiot girls, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's strange. Like I, I don't know where you're empathy i don't know if empathy is applicable to this movie because like you can't really no one is real enough to really care for Mm. in a strange way but it's not that's not a negative for the film somehow the film is like incredible and like absorbing without you ever actually really feeling attached to any other characters except for maybe the cat (laughs) i'm definitely rooting for the cat yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Like, who, where does your? I think watching it from the ant's point of view might be more fun in a way because she has a journey throughout the movie. The other, the seven girls are very one note because they're kung fu or fantasy, and that's them. Yeah. That's all they are. Yeah, and and like they really take the time to explain like the ant's backstory and mm. and why she's in so much pain, and you like really feel for her because she's, you know, waiting for this fiance who's never coming back, and it's like, well. I don't know. Maybe I. Maybe she should be allowed to be that bitter and start eating young girls. <laughs> she had a tough time. <laughs> I don't know. It's just. It's just interesting because there's no real like defined like protagonist in this movie, and there's no defined villain. It's just like things happening. Things. Just lots of things. Uh, war is the villain. True. War is the villain. War is the villain. And bananas and skeletons and clocks full of blood. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the bananas thing is weird. That really freaks me out. The, so uh, during the film, it's revealed a man may or definitely did turn into bunches of bananas. <laughs> yeah, but then they don't... They like don't show him turning into 
you see the man in his car, like, weeping, being like, bananas, bananas. And then a scene later, someone else arrives on the scene. And there is just, like, a human, vaguely human-shaped pile of bananas. It's just really creepy. Yeah. Seeing an abandoned car full of a human-shaped of bananas. Like, and he's got what? a little, his hat still on. Yeah. <laughs> the bananas are wearing a hat. What happened? I think it's creepier because they didn't make a big thing of it. It's just like in the background, you're like, Whoa. and actually the film does that a lot. The dancing skeleton, which I think is maybe your favourite part of the film. I love the, the dancing skeleton. skeleton dances a lot in the background when it's not sort of the main centre of attention. That's quite, that's just so creepy. Yeah, because he's just like <laughs> yeah. He has his own story. He has his own arc. He's just a little skeleton trying to have a good time. Because it does look very much like we bought this from a pound shop. And I quite yeah. like that about this film. Well, that's the thing. It's like House has the quality of like one of those like, yeah, insane B movies that you find, and it's just like so kind of cosmically bad. Like, I don't know, like the Birdemic or something, mm. and it's like none of this makes sense. But then it's just something about the way it's constructed and mm. how all these like bafflingly weird and like the special effects are terrible but like purposefully so because he wanted it to look like like a child's drawing mm. and so it's like everything is sort of bad but on purpose but weird and on purpose and it all comes together to hit this like very specific sweet spot where it's genius yeah it looks a bit like a kids tv show but it's yeah. a really effed up kids tv show <laughs> yeah well, what i find like really like unnerving like effectively unnerving about this film is that it's both that but then it also has like slightly the vibe of like a softcore like movie mm. <laughs> and it's like to have the two the two ends of the the scale of like children's tv and like softcore porn <laughs> and like to have those two vibes together is like incredibly disconcerting and weird and like because it's like really really innocent but like it's sort of in the same way that Dario Gento shoots women where he's sort of like, he's fascinated by them, but he's scared by them, but there's a sexual element and it's all mixed up in this weird thing. And then this movie has that and also this layer of like innocence to it and the childlike innocence. And it's all come into this very weird, 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 weird mix of emotions that I think adds to the film's overall very disconcerting feeling. But it's like I I don't know I it's hard for me to come away from this movie knowing how this guy feels about women because like I I don't know. So yeah, you're right. Like TV show, kids TV show, mixed with softcore porn and lots of like giallo Italian horror. Yeah, <laughs> and like the way that it comes together, like it it sort of works, and because mm. that sounds like a horrific combination of things, and like saying I'm it out loud, they didn't you're put like, that on the back of the box. yeah, you're like that sounds horrible. Why would <laughs> anyone want to watch that movie? But I think it's maybe there is a sense, there is a knowing aspect to it that mm. he knew that that does make you feel very uncomfortable. And I think as like fun and silly as the movie is, like it's not scary, but it there is something disconcerting about it, which I think is the sort of the genius aspect of it mm. is how something so sweet and innocent can also be very dark house is in the 90 minutes or less film fest hooray love it as part of your duties as a film festival programmer we'd like you to 
get the audience really immersed in the world of house before the film starts how would you approach this challenge oh spewing blood cat painting (laughs) absolutely you get into like you're trying to buy your popcorn but in the corner of the room there is a blood fountain and it's it it's a painting of a cat's face with the blood like spewing out it's just like red dyed water it's fine don't worry about it but that's the beginning and then you go in the screening put the skeleton in the corner maybe he dances during the movie maybe he doesn't you're trying to watch the movie and your eyes keep darting because it's like is the skeleton dancing i don't know what else would be good a cat on every seat cat on every seat or oh yeah maybe just like a real cat a real cat that just that looks like the one runs the around the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's two people on either side with one of the little feather things, and it's like running, because <laughs> that's the cat does a lot of like running across things really quickly, and and it's very low to the ground. Mm. I don't know if that's the cat's natural stance. It's a sneaky cat. They yeah, cast a really sneaky cat. I don't know if he's crouching the whole time or if that's just how the cat is built. But if you yeah, a cat that's like sneaking around the whole time. I don't know what a lot of the stuff you like you really don't want to put in a cinema <laughs> <laughs> i think maybe for food and drink we could serve watermelon watermelon is a big part of of the film yes so maybe there's and you have to like go in the well so in the in the film to keep the watermelon fresh they store it down a well on like an old crane so maybe you have mm. to go and like you know ferry your watermelon up or those um those great like halloween eyeball oh yeah candy things the the gummies that are eyeballs that would be fun. That'd be great. Oh, maybe the screening should be at Halloween. Okay, so it's oh, one of our finger. Oh yeah, <laughs> finger cake. So maybe it's like a you get a, like a party bag or something just full of you know various body parts confectionery. Yes, and then at some point during the screening, someone just like comes in and starts kicking. <laughs> <laughs> and you the you don't plan for when it's gonna be. They just come in because that is just she just kicks a lot. There's no warning of it. She just starts kicking, and you're like, okay, this is a kicking scene now. <laughs> She's got quite a jazzy theme tune when she starts to kick, though. So yeah. I, quite, I quite, sort of quite liked it because then the music came back. This is my thing that, like, is weird and, like, weird about women it, as it is. She is such a great character and is, mm. like, almost like a like a pre-Ripley, like, badass on-screen woman <laughs> kicking her way through this movie. She's great. I love her. I think my, my flourish for this screening may be to have the band that plays the music in the film actually playing live as people are taking their seats. Oh, that uh, would be good. Because they, they've got some, they, they're the same bands that did the theme tune for a show called Monkey. So they could play all the hits. That'd be kind of nice, get everybody in the mood. Or I saw in Jules Holland once, they had a guy who had like fake cats and he'd pull the, the, oh. fake, the fake cat tail that would go <laughs> and have that to play the theme song. Cat orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> play it before the film and everybody's like what did that happen and then when they see the movie they'll be like oh oh cat band <laughs> i would also really like to have someone collecting tickets as they go as everybody goes into the movie so like tearing tickets oh yep your seat's over here but then actually at the end of the film replace them with a banana sculpture oh so everybody God. just walks out and they're like did you just see a banana shaped man <laughs> but then also that employee doesn't come into work again <laughs> <laughs> They've found another job. That's the illusion. They're actually gone. <laughs> the story is, oh no, they are bananas now. They are bananas. And the bananas just work at the <laughs> cinema now. <laughs> <laughs> they become a healthy snack for all to enjoy. That's a, yeah. that's a delicious thing to do. This screening sounds incredible. Uh, very, very excited to be here. If you could invite one special guest to maybe introduce the film or maybe to a Q&A with after, who would you, who would you want on stage? Oh, oh, wow. I don't know. Nicolas Cage for like in his pachinko outfit and we could all appreciate how those ads can never have happened 
if House wasn't made. I think Nicolas Cage could come pay his respects because he probably earned quite a lot of money from doing those Japanese ads. Yeah. Like, you know, actually, I'm part of the system. <laughs> He'd probably get the movie as well. He'd be like, this is a normal movie. This <laughs> I don't get what the big deal is. I've never seen this film in a cinema. I would really love to, to actually see it with an audience because I think that would just be wild. Yeah, I haven't either. Which I don't know. Has there been one? I think the Prince Charles have, have shown it in the past. I miss that. And I think they should do it again. Do it well, they should come to our screening. But any any rep cinema who wants to show a midnight movie, this is a great choice. I'll and it's up 88 as a cat. minutes long. <laughs> yes, it's short. Do you think this film could or should be longer than 90 minutes? No. Because... I don't want, like, I feel like it's the perfect point before we go past the threshold of what I can handle. Because it's a lot. It's a lot. And I think as well, if you took this movie and edited it like a normal movie, it would be two hours long. Mm. But it's so, it's so efficient. That's true. (laughs) It's a lot of editing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the content of a two hour movie in... 88 minutes. It's like playing a podcast at double speed. It is a little bit. <laughs> you got to get through it. Go, go, go. Yeah. <laughs> like, ah, cutting things off and now she's dead and now this person's dead. And like, okay, now it's a big cat and now there's a big face and now there's a flood of blood. Just uh, it's cool. And now it's the ending. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay. I am so pumped for the screening. And it's cool. So nice. You know, we got a good midnight movie for our festival, our first Japanese film in the festival. And it's great to, to uh, honor this cult classic with a big screen outing. So, Clarice, if people want to find out what you're up to, listen to your work, read your work, where should they go? I put everything on Twitter. So it's Clarice Lockery or at Clarice Lou, because I tried to put my full name in, but it stopped after Lou. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, C-L-A-R-I-S-S-E-L-O-U. I think I did that right. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's lots of articles uh, to read and also your voice to be heard on, on radio and podcasts. Yeah, and occasionally a meme. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. We're also available on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We are a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. member of the Stripped Media Network.